Good morning. I still see some new faces this week, which thrills me. So if I haven't met you, I'm Pamela Grafton, and I'm excited to teach again today. <clears throat> I think it's Brian that says a lot on Sunday mornings that <coughs> he, can y'all hear me? So good? Okay. That he knows there are so many other places you could be this morning. <laughs> I'm sure your to-do list is long, and you could be at the gym or at school or at work or at home still in bed. So we don't take it lightly that you chose to be here, and we're thankful for it. And I'm excited to teach, and let's see what God has to te teach us all today out of Colossians. So <clears throat> we're going to start today in Colossians 1, 24, and I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage, and then we're going to kind of walk through it like last week. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who I have seen, who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom, all hit, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. <clears throat> I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. <coughs> so let's start. And really, if you're like me, it's hard to get past the first five words. Um, those have probably been studied and talked about many, many times <coughs> by believers because they're so countercultural and sort of confusing to us. I rejoice in my sufferings. <laughs> it just doesn't really make sense, does it? <clears throat> so I want to spend a minute here. First, what is suffering? If you look it up in the dictionary, it says the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. And I think all of us would nod and say, yes, we know what that feels like. Um, I once heard a pastor describe it as <clears throat> the presence or absence of anything unwanted. I love that. It can be anything. It just things aren't the way they should be. That's suffering. And Paul here is describing his current situation. He's literally writing this from prison. So that's a different, I mean, we don't really have a context for that, most of us. Um, he's been beaten, harassed, doubted, shunned, all because he lives his life boldly, spreading the gospel. So he's literally in prison for sharing the gospel. So that is what you would call suffering for the gospel. It's a distinct type of suffering. And we don't really talk about it really quite as much today or see it in America, certainly in lovely Oxford. You know, it, it seems a little foreign to us. We see it on the news and we see it around the world and we pray for those people and it is very real still today. But we don't suffer like that as often, really. <coughs> I mean, sometimes we do. I discussed this with Brian and we were brainstorming on, on ways that we do. Um, they're just not quite as drastic as in prison. I mean, we will have, you know, 
different financial burdens because we spend our money in different ways or give money away that some people don't. Um, sometimes you will be excluded maybe from a friend group, you know, if you're known as the church girl, which <laughs> we were talking about. Once you get to, like, maybe my age or older, you kind of really don't care. <laughs> it's kind of freeing and, you know, to not care. Um, and that's so that doesn't really feel like suffering. Uh, but sometimes you might. I mean, you might make choices in your workplace that cost you a promotion or a position. Um, definitely younger people that making choices about how they handle alcohol or sex or different routes in college. I mean, they're going to suffer for their choices, and it's going to be harder, or they may be alienated. I do think we're getting to a time in our country where our mindset and our principles of black and white on sin and what God thinks about things, that is, we're going to become in the minority, and we may be persecuted for that or alienated or criticized or misunderstood. <coughs> Even loving our enemies, sometimes it can, can be hard and painful, um, but God calls us to do that. Um, forgiveness is even really a type of suffering because you're giving up something that is really due to you, but you're saying, I choose not to pursue that. <clears throat> so we do suffer in ways. Um, like I said, not quite as tangibly sometimes as Paul is right now. And if, if we're not at all, if we never feel uncomfortable or left out or excluded or off in this culture, you know, it's worth asking, why not? You know, maybe we aren't living quite as boldly as we should or we've gotten a little too comfortable and just we want to blend in. But God calls us to be salt and light, which is going to make us cause some friction sometimes. So that's, <clears throat> that's suffering for the gospel that, that Paul's really distinctly talking about in this passage. But I couldn't, um, I couldn't teach this week on suffering without sort of stepping back with a broader lens of just suffering in general. I'll admit I went down a total rabbit hole in the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> and I, was, I planned today to just tell Anna, like, I know this is the passage, but I'm just going to teach on suffering for 40 minutes or 30 minutes. Um, I have shifted gears because there's so many key points in this passage that we don't want to ignore. But I also want to talk about just suffering in general for a minute because whether it's like Paul in prison or whether it's whatever we're going through suffering is suffering and we all have gone through it and we all will go through it or we have friends I feel like right now I have so many friends suffering so greatly um, whether it's divorce or loss of a job or marital struggles or grief or um, depression or I mean, the list go on and on. We all could stand here, right, and name our friends that we're praying for that are going through these things or that we're feeling ourselves. So I, I couldn't ignore that, and I want to just talk about it for a minute and look at what Scripture says about suffering, both Paul's suffering in that light, <clears throat> but what we go through day to day. And I was convicted too. I know sometimes in small group, you know, someone might pray for, you know, maybe their mother is dying of cancer. I mean, some really heavy things. But then also there's someone in that room whose seventh grader has been left out and hadn't seen a friend in six months. Those both crush our spirits and hurt. And suffering is suffering. They're not on a scale. Um, we don't compare. We all have different seasons, right? I mean, we literally, when I started working on this lesson a couple weeks ago, I had in my notes, I'm not really in a season of suffering right now, but I have been, so I can shed light on it. And then I think God said, no, you'll teach better. If you, you'll, you'll relate better if you're going through something. So he kind of threw a big curveball to our family about a week ago. So, but there's not a, there's not a scale. They're, it, they're all suffering, and they all matter, and they all hurt the same. You know, my pain over X, Y, Z can be as great as 
years over something that may be way more life-altering or longer duration or you know what I mean like they're just we suffer and we need to be there for each other and we need to know God's word and what he says about suffering <clears throat> so so that is suffering and kind of what we're going to look at today but I want to go back to the word that <clears throat> really doesn't seem to fit in this passage and that is rejoice I guess it's sort of baffling how he can say that and it struck me that Paul says I rejoice um, that's an active verb he is choosing he is doing something he, that is not passive he's not saying he, he's seeking that and it's it's he's doing something positive it also hit me that joy is a fruit of the spirit which means it comes from the inside once the Holy Spirit is in us I mean the first three fruits we have love joy peace we can't necessarily get those from the outside. That comes from within. And so that means no matter what is happening to, happening to us, no matter where we are in life, if we are sitting in a jail cell or a hospital room or alone because we are so depressed, we can have joy from the inside, and that's what Paul is talking about. <clears throat> you know, there are nine fruits of the Spirit, um, you know, that God says will come from the Holy Spirit living in us. Um, that list does not include happy, it doesn't include comfortable, doesn't include easy, relaxing, a comfy life that's just going to be smooth all the time. Those aren't promised. Love, joy, peace, those are promised. And I, but I don't want to make light of this, and Paul wouldn't either. He's still in prison. He is still probably cold and lonely and beaten and hungry and all of the things that would go along with that. You know, this is not a, you know, nice little cushy for celebrities, you know, two-day prison. This was hard. So it doesn't mean it's not hard and painful and that he's not feeling all of those real emotions at the same time. But he says, you know what? I can rejoice too. And that is shocking to us. So it's worth digging in of where's that coming from? How can he do that? What can we draw from that that encourages us in our suffering? And he tells us, he continues, he says, In my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, the church. <clears throat> so Paul understands the framework for his suffering. So I want to shed light on, on that a little bit in two ways. First of all, he knows, he knows its place. And then he knows its purpose, what it's going to do in him. So first of all, just when I, in its place, like it's, my note said, it's coming. It is inevitable. We are told there's going to be suffering. Um, I want to be clear too, though, there's a lot of commentary and confusion on this, where he says he's completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Christ completed everything on the cross. It is finished. His work is done. That's not what it's talking about. Scripture talks about there's going to be a period of woes. It's not really quotes on what um, between Christ's first return and when He comes back. That there's going to be a period of suffering and woes in that in that interim in which we're living right now. So that's what Paul is talking about. <clears throat> One of the authors said there will be a period of woes between the first advent of Jesus and His return. Until the woes are completed, the church fills up what is missing advancing history towards the kingdom's consummation. So suffering evidences 
that the sufferers really are God's people and brings the kingdom ever nearer. I love that. It's just we're working and we're all longing for that day when it is complete. <clears throat> John 16:33 says, <coughs> I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. <laughs> this is God's word. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, there are preachers out there that preach this false gospel of follow this, believe this. You know, God is love and you'll be happy and everything will go well. And that is not true. I mean, can we get an amen, right, for believers in this room? That's not what God promises. What he promises is so much greater. But he says there will be trouble in this world. And it started in Genesis 3 when sin entered the world and broke his perfect creation. And so... We just live in a broken world and that in between. And there will be trials and death and suffering and pain and sickness and hurt. Um, it's just where we are. And God tells us to take heart that he's overcome this world already. It's part of the process of making us more like him. And it's just necessary because Christ suffered, we will too. First Peter 4 says, 4.12 Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. I mean, how much more direct can that be? Um, but he means it in such a loving way because he's united in this with us. But he says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So it's not a surprise. It's something that he says is coming. So, so if you know something's coming, we should prepare for it, which sounds a little odd. <clears throat> Last week, we watched a movie with Chase one night. I highly recommend it. Some of the things we say, like I don't recommend, but, <laughs> but this movie I really recommend. It's called True Spirit, and it, it's on Netflix, I think. And it's based on the true story of this precious teen. Has anybody seen it? One nodding. Um, this precious 16-year-old from Australia who is determined, this girl, who's determined to be the first girl to circumvent the globe by herself in a sailboat. True story. That happened in, I can't remember the year. Should have looked that up. Anyway, her name is Jessica Watson from Australia. Kind of crazy because you're watching this cute family. She's got siblings. and I mean, you have to get over the thought of like those parents. Like, what in the world? You should never have let her do this. But, <clears throat> and a lot of the media is saying you shouldn't allow her to do this. And they tried to stop her. But anyway, she's wanted to do it since she was 10. And she hired this amazing trainer. And she's trained and she does it. And so she heads out to sail around the world, it's supposed to take, sorry, it's a spoiler, but it's a true story, so it already happened. Um, I want to say like like 300 days. So can you imagine sending your 16-year-old in a sailboat, not very big, I mean, from here to the stairs, around the globe. So anyway, near the end of the movie, kind of spoiler, she's made it. Like She has like f five days left after this journey, and this storm of storms is coming. I mean, massive fluke, storms, hurricanes, her parents and everyone is saying, you got to stop. Like, you need to stop. You need to just go into the harbor. That's it. And she debates and debates, and she's really, she's literally almost willing to die for this cause because she says, I can't. I'm not going to stop this journey. And it is, it, I mean, I know it's pretty true because the person was involved in the movie and they show all the real footage too at the end, but brutal. I can't imagine going through that. I mean, you watch her, and it, I don't know how long it goes on, but she's you know when you see movies and they're up on the dock trying to do all the cords and the sails and the strapping everything down and she literally then has to physically strap herself in the bed 
and she's just riding it out in the boat. It's going upside down, and you think, I mean, it's horrendous. And I thought, especially as a parent, I thought, <clears throat> how does she know how to do that? Like, how does she know what to go do to the boat? And also, and she's not totally calm. She's upset, but relatively because she chose it. You know, she didn't say, mm, I'm stopping. So she was prepared for that, and it hit me in that moment last week. She practiced. She had to practice. That trainer took her out in storms to practice, right? How else would she know how to survive the storm? And she said, she did it. She said, I knew I could do it, and I knew this boat. I knew what was holding me, and I trusted my boat. They had practiced. I mean, what a fluke to think, all right, it's storming. Let's go practice. But that's exactly what she did, and it just struck me so strong. That's what God tells us to do is be prepared. I'm telling you this is coming. And that's exactly what we talked about last week. That's why Paul painted that beautiful picture of Christ, and he said he wants you to stand firm and steadfast. That's how we prepare. We know our firm footing. We trust the, the boat like she trusted the boat. We trust who's going to hold us through that storm. So that we're not unprepared. <clears throat> and, you know, sometimes God sends us small trials or suffering to sometimes sort of prepare us and practice for the bigger ones, right? To get our footing, to know how to handle those, to know where to go for comfort and the truth of his word and the perspective. I think that's important to teach our children too. And it's so hard as parents, we want to protect them from everything, right? We don't want them to fall down and skin their knee or worse or you know we want to protect them from that but but we can't and that's where they grow really <clears throat> so that's the first thing about suffering is that it's it's really inevitable God tells us it's coming but he also tells us there's an end to it there is an end um, this verse also sounds very countercultural when you're in the middle of suffering but second Corinthians 4 17 says for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's so hard. Light and momentary. That verse is not printed on sympathy cards, is it? It is. There are times that that verse seems almost offensive. Like, and I don't know if I should, but I was walking with a friend last week who we just had. It was one of Addie's dear friends who, at 18, committed suicide, and I been walking with that mom last week as we passed that anniversary how do you put that verse and that together like it 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 doesn't seem to fit but yet God said it does and it's because he can process things in a different way than we can his perspective is eternal it's beyond our human comprehension and he knows there's just a bigger picture that we can't always see um and it doesn't change the pain that we're in, but he says it will end one day. He promises a day where there's no more pain and there are no more tears. Romans eight seventeen says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So he promises something way greater than even the deepest of pain I, I can't imagine what my friend will carry her life until she is reunited with her daughter in heaven it's not going to go away on this side of heaven but he promises that it will <clears throat> and that there's something greater than even the depth of that pain and the only analogy I thought of was a lot of us have lived through this deep pain or we've parented through this deep pain 
of middle school heartbreak, <laughs> right? Uh, I can picture Chase telling where we were when she got her heart broken in eighth grade. Um, I mean, I can picture it, right? Do we still like? I could name the names, but I won't because this is being recorded <laughs> of my heartbreak in eighth grade, um, right? Like, it's crushing. And in that moment, I mean, I hugged Chase and probably cried with her because I ached with her because I hated seeing my child hurt like that. And to her, it was the end of the world after this one-month romance, you know. <laughs> but, and I'm not even making light, and I mean, I am a little bit, but God does not make light of our pain. He doesn't brush it off and say, it's no big deal. Because I truly stood in that driveway and cried with Chase, with her, because I knew how broken she was and how sad she was. And that is what God does with us. In our pains and our struggles and things that he says, they're light and momentary, but he meets us there and he sees our pain regardless. He doesn't dismiss it, but he also knows, just like I could have told Chase, oh, Chase, in the lifetime, God willing, that you have ahead of you and the many true loves of your life and hopefully a long marriage and, you know, many boyfriends or dates or other things, even if you never married, just the wonderful things that are ahead of you past eighth grade, you know, I could see it differently than she can. And that's how I think God can put a verse there like that, that these are light and momentary and they pale compared to the glory that I know is ahead for you. So they will end. So next, outside of its place, Paul knows this suffering has a purpose, and we can rest in that too. It's not in vain. And knowing that gave him the strength and gives us the strength to endure. <laughs> I pictured I go to Goose Creek to exercise sometimes, and there's this workout machine in there. It's this stair climber thing. seems so simple to just walk up steps, but it <laughs> kills me. They, I mean, like, most people want to go on it. And I can last on it about five minutes. And when I get off, I'm like, <sighs> I'm panting. Why in the world would I do that? Because it's supposed to make me stronger and it's supposed to burn more calories than anything else. And like, because I know it can achieve something. So I will say, okay, I will endure that for a few minutes because there's a purpose to it. It's not pretty at all. <laughs> Lori does. <laughs> um, but Paul knows there's a purpose for this. And he signed up for it, really. He was willing um, and he can rejoice because he believes in what he's doing and he knows what purpose it's going to serve. So first, suffering also, it refines us and it grows us personally. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Again, those words don't seem to go together and outside of a Christian context, they can't. But it says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, mature and complete, lacking nothing. Um, I'm trying to skim. I've got so many verses on this. Romans 5.3 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 1 Peter 1, In all this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, a greater worth than gold, will be revealed. So we know when we suffer, we grow and we learn and we mature, and it is Christ making us more like him. I know and maybe a lot of you like, I can't tell my testimony without 
my sufferings. If you've heard me teach for a long time, and how many times have I talked about the car accident? I mean, I get tired of talking about it myself that I was in at, when I was 17. I'm sure Katie and some of you are like, please don't talk about that again. And I'm not going to. But, I, but why do I do that? It's because it made me who I am. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. But I'm forever changed by it. And it's where I met God and learned the most. I can't, I can't, I mean, and I don't know about you. If you tell your testimony, it's often marked by these chapters of sort of suffering or trials or things because that's where we grow. That's where we learn. And that's what Paul knows is going to happen in his suffering. But also when we go through suffering, it's where we see Christ the most. And it's where we become bonded with him because we're united in the way he suffered too. I don't remember who said it to me, but I loved it. It said, we worship a God with wounds. I love that. He suffered. So there's a nearness to him who shed real blood for us. So when we suffer, we're connected to that in a unique way. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then Psalm 34.18 says, God draws close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those whose spirits have been crushed. God is never as close as when you're grieving and suffering and hurting. I've said often <laughs> that it, there's never a dull moment parenting Cole Grafton, my 22-year-old son. Never a dull moment. When he was in second grade, he went flying off a swing. We ended up in Labonner for surgery. In sixth grade, he attempted to jump over a bonfire and show off at a party. Oh, Muffin's nodding. She was there. I think she saw it. And he was badly burned, and we ended up in Labonner um, treating. That was horrible. In tenth grade... He had a bone tumor that we had to remove. Um, in 11th grade, long story, there was a fluke incident. And he forgot there was a BB gun in his car. He was suspended, almost expelled from OHS. And I've, but I've really pondered <laughs> this. And I'm super close to Cole. And, you know, we've had such fun memories of playing and being around the house and vacations or birthday parties. I thought about, you know, different things. We have great memories together, and I think I've given that to him. But I've thought about recently, the depth of our relationship is from those moments when he was suffering. He and I still talk about sitting up all night when he was nine years old, eating popsicles, waiting on that surgery at La Honor. Um, when I held him sitting on the floor crying, saying, I don't know if you're going to be expelled or not, but we're in it together and God has a plan. Our, the depth of our relationship is from those moments not from necessarily the birthday parties or the happy times. Those connect us and they're dear memories, but it's in the hard things where Cole now has the confidence when he faces bigger trials and harder things in his life, like hit him two weeks ago. He knows where we're going to be. He knows we're with him. He knows his strength. He has his footing, and he knows that we're going to be in that with him together. And he can rely on us. And that's where we see God, too. When we suffer, we realize how close he is to us. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. And I love that. And God uses our trials and our reactions to them as a witness to the world, right? When Paul can say, I rejoice in my suffering, it makes people stop and say, what? Is, what is that about? Where does that come from? When we can still find a glimmer of hope 
or even just get out of bed when we are in such pain. God is glorified <clears throat> when it's his strength that we're showing to the world. This was on Facebook two weeks ago, and I couldn't leave it out. Um, and I wasn't close to the Stubblefield family. Some of you may have been Rob Stubblefield, whose daughter was a, was a senior at Regents who attempted suicide but survived maybe five or six years ago. It was horrible. And I didn't know them well, but I follow them on Facebook, and I followed their journey. They literally basically moved to a hospital to try to save her life and restore the endless surgeries to restore her vision and speech and to get some life back. And it's, I can't imagine the pain and suffering that they've gone through. But they've used it as such a beautiful platform to share their love of Christ. And he put this on Facebook last week. It said, at times we say this shouldn't have happened. I'm not a prophet or do I claim to wax eloquently, but here's the truth. We don't always get to choose our suffering. It appears to be true that life is most profoundly discovered in suffering. Suffering, no sensible person wants it. No reasonable person desires it. No sane person enjoys it. Yet when you walk that lonely road, you find the greatest companionship, that unseen hand of his mercy, his grace, and unexplainable strength, a strength, strength that can only be made real in our heartaches, troubles, and trauma, hence beauty for ashes. I can't say it better than that. It's beautiful. So that's suffering. So I hope that's encouraging to you of how those words rejoice and suffering can even be in the same sentence. But I do want to go through the rest of this passage and touch on two other points. And the next one is the mission. Like I said, Paul was bought into this mission. Um, I worked in banking for a long time for a big bank in Memphis, so I had definitely my share of, you know, corporate consultants that would come in and do, you know, you'd have to do all the whiteboards and all these exercises and different groups and come up with mission statements and SWOT analysis, all these different things. And, but I do know from that, and we all know, like a mission statement is important. I mean, we all have in a different club organization or a school group, you often start with a mission statement. You have to have one to sort of guide your focus and know what you're working towards. Um, fun exercise, I just Googled like top corporate mission statements. Um, like McDonald's says, our mission is to make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. <laughs> Coke, Coke says, to refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. So mission statement is important as it gets everyone united behind the purpose and the focus and the aim. And so then everything you do goes back to the mission statement. If it's not working towards that, it shouldn't be on the list. Or if it, you know, it, it needs to point to that mission statement. And that's what Paul, we see here. He knows his mission. It's very clear to him. He's bought into that. If you remember, this is Paul that was Saul earlier that was the greatest persecutor of Christians. And then in Acts 9, he has the radical conversion on the road to Damascus where God literally stops him in his tracks. And his heart is changed like that. And he becomes the greatest tool. When God sends Ananias to care for him, he, and Ananias does not really want to go, he's sort of saying, like, what in the world? This is Saul. He's killing Christians, and you want me to go care for him and sort of take him under my wing. God says, I love this in Acts 9, he says, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So God calls it right there. Paul is called to this mission. And he devotes his entire life to the mission of God. Um, I just, running through this passage, I pulled out all these statements. He's a servant of this message, the gospel. 
He's suffering for this body, the church, to make the world the word known. He proclaims truth, warning everyone and teaching with all wisdom to present all mature in Christ. He toils with his energy as God works within him. He knows God's the source of his strength. And he wants to encourage and see them knit together in love to reach the full assurance and understanding. <clears throat> and he, so he just, he's, all, he's fully in. He knows the mission and he's willing to submit to it and become a servant to it no matter the cost. In Philippians 2.16, he says, he says, So in that day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He was that bought into the mission to spread this great news. So what about us? We would be remiss to not ask. Are we bought into this mission? Or are we sometimes just consumers um, of our churches and of, of this good news? God's mission for us is basically the same as it was for Paul, and it requires our devotion. His life should be both a challenge and encourage us. One of my books said, Through Paul's testimony, we see the nature of God's mission, what it requires from each of us, and ultimately what he desires to accomplish through us. In this passage, God calls his servants to be fully devoted to the mission of the gospel by sharing the good news of Christ and participating in the sufferings of Christ in order to grow the body of Christ. So we're not just entrusted with this great news. We're to be its messengers, still laboring on behalf of all the people. So if you're sitting here thinking, great, okay, we just added to my to-do list. I need to go home, start a Bible study, and <laughs> go to seminary, and <laughs> write a book, and whatever. No, that's not it. God may call you to do some of those things, and that's amazing, but I'm not adding to, to your to-do list. What God is saying, Paul is saying, is just it should be interwoven in every part of your life. Just that your buy into this mission and your belief in this great news and your goal to share it with other people should just be a part of your everyday life and what you do already. As a mom, as a student, as an employee, as a volunteer, as a teacher, as a neighbor, just let that permeate all parts of your life and every spot that God puts you because every spot is an opportunity for you to share that good news or just be a living example of the body to somebody that's never seen someone maybe act like you act or react the way you do. <clears throat> First Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for that hope that is in you. When we look different, people are sometimes going to ask or just think, I want that. Um, it doesn't have to be hard. It can be baby steps of just being faithful. You know, if you had the cure for cancer, would you withhold it from the dying? And what we have is so much greater than that. Um, but sometimes do we stray away from or shy away from opportunities to, to share it or even just say the name of Jesus or, or just mention our faith? We can just take baby steps of being faithful and God does the rest. I can look around this room. I've been in this Bible study a long time. The number of lives that have been changed, or I'll say even seasons of life changed, or trials, seasons of trial changed because someone just at Kroger invited someone to come to Bible study, or someone mentioned it to someone on their tennis team, or someone, a stranger meets you in Panera and tells you about a great welcoming Christian body. I can, those are real examples, by the way. Um, I, 
it, it doesn't, you don't have to go around and preach a sermon every day. Sometimes it's just being open to be willing to invite someone to something. God's going to do the rest. God, God does the rest. We just have to be willing with the baby steps to be ready to explain this joy that we have and this hope that we have that doesn't make sense in the world. <clears throat> so lastly, this, the mystery. Paul mentions three t- the word mysteries in this passage three times. That that's, that's his goal. That's, his, that's the mission is to make known this mystery. <clears throat> and a lot of us, don't we love, I mean, I used to love a good mystery. I love the old Law and Orders. The new ones are kind of too dark for me now. But don't you love a good mystery, a mystery book, and trying to figure it out, who did, just the suspense and all, like a mystery, I, that intrigues me. I literally, I remembered, I wish I could find them. They're probably still in my mom's attic somewhere. But I had these books in middle school that were like, you could choose the end of the mystery, and I, I thought that was so cool. <laughs> like, you get to a certain point, and it was like, if you want, if you want so-and-so to be involved go to page this and you could choose and they had written like three different endings to the mystery and you could choose the ending I love that but that concept of a mystery I think is intriguing to us and this is a little different really in in the New Testament when they use the word mystery what it means is just something that has been hidden or not fully revealed up until this point like all through the Old Testament there were every word in the Old Testament points to Jesus we've talked about that a lot of times Every word in the Old Testament points to Jesus. So there was something coming, there was something coming, but now in the New Testament it is fully revealed, and that's what this is talking about. So what is this mystery that Paul is devoting his life to sharing? And he says it so plainly, it is Christ in you, and that is the hope of glory. It is so succinct and simple and amazing and mind-blowing all at the same time. Um, He says, Christ in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, And it's certain. It is complete. He lives in us, and we are united. And this mystery was not just for some people. We're told in this passage it was for all the saints, Jews and Gentiles, which back in this time upset a lot of people, honestly, because they thought they were the chosen people. Isn't it just for us? No, God said, this is for everybody. This is for anyone who will hear me and accept this free gift. And we now have that mystery within us. It says Christ in us. Let that sink in. Christ in us. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ now lives in us. He strengthens us. He grows us. He challenges us. He gives us perspective. That is this mystery that Christ lives in us. The one that we described last week that is supreme over all of creation lives within believers. Our status in Christ and his presence in in us secures our hope and provides us with a confident assurance of the glorious wealth and fortune of our inheritance. Uh, Let me flip really quickly and read Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, that. What a beautiful prayer. That is 
something to maybe write down upon your mirror. If we could just grasp that, if we could grasp the depth of what it really means to have Christ in us and the breadth and depth and length and height of his love that surpasses understanding. I struggled with an analogy to explain Christ in us. Brian helped me find one in the, in the book, Union with Christ, and I love this. It says, it's sort of like comparing Spider-Man and Batman. Sorry, I'm back on superheroes. <laughs> Not related to Cole. Um, you know, Batman is a wealthy, powerful businessman, and his strength comes from his toys. You know, the secret underground thing and the, and the cars and the toys and all the things he can buy with his money himself, right? But Spider-Man, it's different. He becomes a superhero when he's bitten by that radioactive spider. So something happens to him that changes his nature changes him from the inside. He's a different person. And that's how that author described this Christ in us. Something has happened that's not really human. We have been changed. And so something now lives within us that gives us the strength and power and perspective and hope and love that we can't understand. It's not from the outside. It's not anything we do. It's not something we can go purchase. It's a gift that was given to us. And then we have Christ in us. And that's the great news, and that's the mission that Paul devoted his life to spreading. And that's where we can land with so much encouragement. Um, last week, Alan was watching a show. I, I got called into some of it. I don't recommend it, really. It was called The Watcher. I don't know if anybody's seen it on Netflix. It's kind of dark in the language, so I don't recommend it. But um, it's like eight episodes, so we weren't, you know, you, you hate those shows where you invest 40 hours of your life, you know. But this was eight episodes and it's like a suspense mystery of this family that moves in this great house and then they get these mysterious letters and they don't know who's trying to scare them or was it was there a ghost in the house from murder is it just the weird neighbors is it someone trying to buy like it's just really confusing and twisted and it's this mystery of they're trying to figure out who's sending them these letters trying to scare them out of the house and really and we literally got to the end last night I didn't want to watch it while I was in this mode. I told him to watch it, told me the ending. And he came upstairs and he said, it, it ended and like, I really don't even know who did it. They don't ever tell you who the watcher is. <laughs> so sorry, I did just ruin that show for you. <laughs> watch the sailing movie instead. But he came up and I told him, I said, I need a report because I'm putting this in my Bible study. And he came up and he was like, it's terrible. He said, they never told us who the watcher is. One lady said she was the watcher and then she dies, so it's not her. And like, there was no resolution. There was no peace for this family. There was no wrapping it up nice and neat with a bow like we want. So he had invested eight hours of his life, and it was like nothing. I mean, there, there was, it just felt yuck because you don't know the answer. And isn't that how this world feels so often? You know, we spin our wheels, and we put our focus on things, and we want it to wrap up, and we want to solve it this way, or we want to know the answer, or we want it nice and neat. And that's just not the way it works often. And it's not really supposed to because this is a broken world and this is not where we're meant to live forever. But God says, my, my mystery, what I'm showing you is perfect and it is complete and there's peace and there's rest and there's encouragement in that. And that the Christ we saw last week that was supreme and sufficient has wounds for us. He suffered for us. He died for us and it is complete and we are united um, one of my commentators wrote this, and I'm going to end with this. It said, I don't think it's preacher hyperbole to say that you will never hear something more amazing and profound in your entire life. Union with Christ touches on the highest and the most profound truths of the gospel. At the same time, it reaches down into the depths of the human heart. 
and fills us with more joy and hope and comfort and strength than anything in this world ever could. So yes, we will suffer sometimes on this earth like Paul did, but we can do it with rejoicing because we are part of this mission and we know the mystery that Christ lives in us. So let me pray for us. Dear God, we just we thank you for these truths. We thank you for this book of your word that is so rich and so valuable and is living and meets us today and as women sitting in Oxford and it gives us truths that can just change the way we leave this room. Um, we thank you for that. We thank you for the, your son that we did not deserve. We thank you that you chose to let him die on a cross so that you could draw us back to yourself and let us be your people forever. We thank you for that. God, I, I pray for the women in this room that are suffering. I pray for all of us and the many hurts that we carry. I know there are women that could barely get out of bed this morning to get here, and they are putting on a brave face to be here, and I pray that they would feel you so close and your voice so loud, and that they would feel seen and welcome and loved, whether they speak these needs or not. Um, I know they are there. And I just thank you that you can give us a hope in that and that we can rejoice no matter what our situation. In Jesus' name, amen.